Greetings and salutations, everybody. To friendly neighborhood Spencer Man here on Wednesday, August 17th. One question for every fight, UFC 278 taking place this Saturday at Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City, Utah. Headlined by a welterweight title fight between Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. It is a rematch, but not a championship rematch. They fought seven years ago. They are finally meeting in the cage for a second time. We're going to dive right in, starting with that fight. And my question is, what kind of fight are we going to get? I know that sounds simplistic. I know that sounds very basic and sounds like, geez, man, thanks for the great question. But here's what I mean. Each of these athletes brings so many different things to the table, especially compared to who they were the first time they fought in December 2013. 15, I believe it was. Terrific card. Go back and check out that card. If you have Fight Pass, go and actually watch that card from start to finish. It's the card headlined by Rafael Dos Anjos defending his title against Donald Cerrone. But like the number of talented fighters and skilled competitors on that card is absolutely insane. Francis Ngannou debuted on that card. Valentina Shevchenko debuted on that card. Charles Oliveira choked somebody out on that card. Like just go watch it. So what I mean for this fight is that in their first meeting, Kamaru Usman was a wrestler. It was his first fight after the Ultimate Fighter. He was still very much a one-dimensional, but very great at that dimension, wrestler. And Leon Edwards was a kickboxer who didn't really have a lot of takedown defense. The fight played out as you would expect. The, the superior wrestler wrestling the kickboxer to the ground over and over again. Since then, however, we have seen, we have watched as these two men have, as Harry likes to say, bolted on pieces to their game. Kamaru Usman over his last few fights hasn't really been much of a wrestler. He hasn't needed to be because his striking has grown by leaps and bounds, especially his jab. His work with Trevor Whitman is clear and obvious every time you see him compete. Leon Edwards, on the other hand, has taken the kickboxing that he has the quality work he has from Southpaw in the striking arts and said, okay, let me add some other stuff to this. Let me add some offensive wrestling. Let me add some grappling so that I can be a multi-dimensional threat. And over his last few fights, he's registered more takedowns than Kamaru Usman has. And so as we get ready for Saturday, as we prep for and lead into, I'm starting to think, and I'm wanting to know, who are these guys going to be when they get out there on Saturday? Now, the simple answer and the most likely answer is they're going to be these multidimensional threats that we've seen them be because that's what everybody wants to be, right? That's the best way to go into one of these fights is, is being capable of doing everything. But as Kamaru Usman decided that, look, I want to make a point and I beat him with my wrestling last time, so I want to go out and beat him with my striking – that's the thing that Tyson Chartier talked to me about when we put together our coach conversation for this, this fight that's up on the UFC website now. Has Leon Edwards figured out that, look, I, I can do some offensive wrestling myself that puts questions into Kamaru Usman's brain that makes him be a little bit reactive and defensive. What are we going to get? These guys are so good. They're so talented. They're so dynamic in every facet of this fight that I can honestly see each round playing out differently. Almost if they wanted to just agree that the first round is going to be striking, the second round is going to be wrestling, the third round is going to be grappling, and the championship rounds are going to be sort of a pick what you want, choose all, choose your own adventure set of rounds. 
I know some people aren't necessarily excited about this fight, haven't really been geared up, pumped up about this fight, but I'm on the other end of that spectrum. I've been looking forward to this one for a couple of years now because Leon Edwards, to me, has felt deserving for a couple of years now. I think this is going to be a terrific fight. This has fight of the year potential to me if it plays out the way that I can see it playing out in my head. I cannot wait for it. I cannot what to see, cannot wait to see, excuse me, what each of these two bring to the cage on Saturday night. I think it's going to be phenomenal. Coming event, Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold. My question is, what does Rockhold bring to the table this week? I spoke to Luke a couple weeks ago for a piece that'll be up on the UFC website this week. And he said all the right things. We talked about the three years off. We talked about the mindset before that three-year hiatus and kind of falling out of love with the sport and not taking it as seriously as he should and the pressures of other commitments and all of those things. And he said it tracked back to winning that title at UFC 194. You know, that was that was the moment. And then it just becomes, okay, my first fight, my first title defense ends up being against Bisping. And I beat him before, so I know I can beat him. And then he doesn't. And then he goes out and he gets a win a year later against David, David Branch. And it's a good win, but he gets hurt and he's dealing with these injuries and he's dealing with time off. And he comes back and he loses to, to Yoel Romero over in Australia. And then he comes back and he says, I'm going to fight it light heavyweight because I don't want to cut this weight. And let's just go up and... And he faces Jan Blachowicz and he gets absolutely sent to the shadow realm. And he hasn't fought since. He's healed up his body. He's put a lot of effort into rehab and understanding his own health, his own wellness, his own mindset, the whole nine. As I said, he sounds like a guy that has figured some stuff out for himself and could be a really interesting wild card in this division, a really interesting question mark. But he's also 37 and he's coming off consecutive knockout losses. And he's facing a guy that prior to his last three fights had sent everyone to the shadow realm. And so what do we get? Because listen, I've been around the sport long enough. I've been covering the sport long enough to remember when Luke Rockhold was one of those jump off the screen talents athleticism, skill in every facet, super dynamic, the right amount of cockiness, the right amount of of brashness in there, of fighting with that, you can't deal with me kind of air. And if he gets anywhere close to that, if he gets to 85, 90% of that, this gets real interesting. Because yes, he's 37, but it's been three years. He's, He's allowed some of that damage to heal. He's healed his body, as I said. And if he's anywhere close to that guy that won the Strike Force title and won the UFC middleweight title, he's really interesting. But he's also 37, and, and this is a tough fight, and he knows it. For all the things that Paulo Costa hasn't been over his last two fights, those are the Israel Adesanya fight and the Marvin Vittori fight where he just showed up on, on fight week and was like, nah, I'm not making 85. For all those things where you go, Paulo Costa's a joke. Paulo Costa is also a dude that can wreck shop when he is locked in and focused. And so I want to see how this one plays out. And I want to see what Rockhold brings to the table because it could be really interesting, but it could also be really sad. 
Middle of the main card, Jose Aldo against Marab Dwalishvili. My question is, takedown defense versus the takedown machine. Who wins? And not in a like, who's going to win this fight? Because that's the question we all have, right? I'll, I'll address my thoughts on who wins this fight on Friday with the predictions and, and betting picks. But just the dynamic of this fight, right? You have a guy in, in Jose Aldo who, for all the things that we revere about him, one of them is that takedown defense because it's just insane. It's just bonkers. History of his career, course of his career. We've all seen it so many times. The, the takedown defense against the cage, the takedown defense in space, the balance, the ability to force very good wrestlers, very good grapplers to shoot and reshoot and still not get them to the ground. And if they happen to, they can't keep them there. Now he's facing a guy that's racked up damn near 35 takedowns in his last like six fights and has had two fights where he's racked up double digit takedowns. Now, Rob isn't a guy that keeps people on the ground. As, as different people have said, you set takedown records for fight for fights by guys constantly getting back up. Now, some of that, I think, is a game plan and is an approach for Marab. He would rather tire you out by making you return to your feet and just Matt returning you over and over again because he knows he can do it than sitting there and, and laying in half guard and, and working from top position and things like that. He feels the wrestling is the way for him to tire you out and exhaust you to the point that he can then finish you or just slam you to the ground a whole bunch of times and, and win a decision that way. But he's facing a guy that is one of the best of all time at not allowing that to happen. And good Lord, just that dynamic is something I cannot wait to see on Saturday. Never mind the rest of it. Never mind all the other elements that go into this fight. Like Jose Aldo, can he, can he really cement himself as deserving of another championship opportunity of being in that sort of top four, top five in the division as we go through this next couple of months with a ton of fights at bantamweight to sort things out. Can we have the champion, Aljamain Sterling's training partner and very close friend, Rob Dwalishvili, go out and beat a legend and push his winning streak to eight and set himself up to be in a position where he's close to challenging for that title. And maybe he and his friend, and Aljo's talked about this, he would va- he's, he said he would vacate to not stand in the way of Marab. He's got a tough fight coming up. Maybe he doesn't have to vacate, but that's another thing that can come up in this. And it's all going to come down to takedown defense versus takedown machine. And I cannot wait. Heavyweight matchup. Marcin Tybura against Alexander Romanov. My question for this one is what kind of heavyweight is Romanov, both presently and going forward? What I mean is we've got a guy here that is undefeated overall. He's undefeated in the UFC. He comes from a Greco-Roman wrestling base. He has tremendous submissions and takedowns. And it's a it's a variety of things. As I said on the, the State of the UFC podcast with Sean this week over on Severe, he comes from the, he's graduated from the Alexi Olenek school of weird submissions, right? He's got the forearm choke. He'll throw up a, a scarf hold arm lock. He'll do all kinds of weird stuff to you, which is really entertaining and really fun. This fight to me feels like the first fight 
that answers that question of what kind of heavyweight is he? Is he a guy that really has the potential and the upside to go on to maybe be a top five fighter going forward in this division? As we get some of these veterans sort of sliding a little bit, Derek Lewis, Alexander Volkov, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, maybe not even sliding, but just ripe for the picking, ready for, for the next wave to sort of catch up and usurp their position in the rankings? Or is he going to be very similar to the guy he's fighting this weekend in March in Taibura? Somebody that is a top 15 fixture, but kind of tends to reside in that lower third is a, is a tough out for anybody coming up, has all the tools, has all the weapons, but is just not quite the, the dynamic talent that you need to be to move forward in this division. I don't know that we get the full answer this weekend. I don't think that we get a complete finality in terms of where Alexander Romanov is going to fit, even if he wins. If he loses, maybe a little bit closer. But if he wins, I don't think it's the okay, this is for sure who he is. But it pushes us a little bit further ahead in our understanding of what he brings to the table and where he can go going forward. First fight of the main card, Tyson Pedro versus Harry Hunsucker. My question is, will Tyson Pedro become a factor at 205? This fight isn't really going to tell us that. I, I... Little 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 preview of the punch drunk predictions. Tyson Pedro TKO round one. Harry Hunsucker is a guy that did not show well on Dana White's contender series. He got a short notice call up for a pair of heavyweight fights. One was against Justin Taffa, who got him out of there in a round. The other was against Tai Tuivasa, who got him out of there in a round. And as I said on Monday, when Chris Reeve uh, from down in Australia tweeted out the photo of Tafa, Tyson, Pedro, and Tai Tuivasa all standing together, throwing up the West Sides for West Sydney. They're making Harry Hunsucker go through all the Usos, and it's going to end the same way. So I don't necessarily think that this fight answers my question. But it will give me a little bit more insight into whether the 31-year-old returning Australian, who was once a top 10 fighter already, Before all the injuries, before all the time away, he was already there. There was some inconsistency, but he also had some good wins. You go and look at it. Beat Khalil Roundtree in his debut. Beat Paul Craig. Was in there against Shogun Hua before, at a point when Shogun wasn't the completely diminished version of Shogun. You saw flashes of upside. You saw little bits of potential where you you could see him developing potentially into somebody that's a factor in this division. Dealt with all the injuries, dealt with all the time off. He's back. He got a good win earlier this year against Ike Villanueva. I think this fight is very similar to the fight with Hurricane Ike. Doesn't tell us a lot, but tells us a little. And I want to see if if this can be the start of Tyson Pedro building some consistency and having some forward momentum in this division where we always need fresh names, where we always need new blood. Can he become somebody that fits that bill in the lightweight, light heavyweight division? Excuse me. Lightweight would be interesting. Get to the final fight of the prelims, Leonardo Santos against Jared Gordon. My question is who is bouncing back? Each of these two veterans come in on off losses. Leo Santos has lost his last two. 
one at the literal final second against Grant Dawson, and then most recently the wild come-from-behind win of Clay Guida, where Santos had him on skates, had him on the ropes, was looking up at the ref like, aren't you going to stop this? And the ref was like, nah, man, he's still moving. He's not dead. We're going to keep going. And Clay Guida did Clay Guida things. He got up, he almost won that round, and then he came out in the second and finished an absolutely exhausted Leo Santos within a minute and change. Jared Gordon, also coming in off a loss to Grant Dawson, fought him on short notice. He was originally supposed to fight Rafael Alves. Alves tapped out, Dawson tapped in, and tapped Gordon out at the end of the third round. Lightweight is, is absolutely one of those divisions where when you're a veteran like these two are, you can't really have prolonged losing streaks. And I know that two fights doesn't sound like a prolonged losing streak, but is it, it is enough to qualify as a streak because it's two of the same things that happened consecutively. And for Santos, it would be three. And that's where it starts getting a little bit dicey. And you have to start thinking about position on the roster and career opportunities. And now Leo Santos is 42. He's had a good career. He's had good success overall in the UFC. He has things to fall back on. Absolutely. Jared Gordon, I think regardless of of the outcome of this, is still going to be in the UFC because he's a good soldier. He's a good fighter. He's a perfect veteran hand to have in this division. But I can tell you that he doesn't want to lose too straight. And he doesn't want to have to start answering questions about his back being against the wall and what's the future hold and things like that. So I want to see which of these two is more motivated by those recent setbacks and can come out and be more emphatic with their skills and with their push inside the octagon on Saturday. We move to the flyweight division, Wu Yanan against Lucia Pudilova. The question is how will Pudilova's second go in the UFC turnout. She's 28 years old now. She was two and five in her first stint in the UFC. She's gone five and one since, but lost to the best opponent she faced in former UFC fighter Toledo Bernardo. And the other opponents that she faced are kind of, you know, she fought one woman twice, beat her both times by split decision. She fought another woman that hadn't fought in like three years. And so while I understand the record itself looks like, hey, she's gotten better, she's older, she's matured, let's get her back here for another go, I need to see it. I want to see it. Because I think even in that that two and five run to start her career, she was competitive. She was in some tough fights. She lost to Lena Landsberg and Irina Aldana and Liz Carmouche fighting at bantamweight which is just not the right division for her. And yes, she didn't have success even when she went down to flyweight, losing to Antonina Shevchenko and Justine Kish. But can she have some this time around? Now that she's settled into this division, she's settled into the right weight class. She's improved the skills a little bit. She's got a little bit more experience. Let's just see it. Wu Yanan is a perfect return fight. This is one of those situations where if you beat her, you prove you belong. And if you can't, we kind of know the answer to whether this second run is going to go any differently than the first. 
featherweights, Sean Woodson versus Luis Saldana and the Dana White Contender Series alum clash. My question is, where does Woodson fit at featherweight? Sean Woodson is a gigantic human being in terms of, you know, being super tall and long and lanky and great big pipe cleaner for the featherweight division. And it makes him very interesting. It makes him very dangerous. He earned his way into the UFC with a win on the Contender Series, as I mentioned, by knocking out Terrence McKinney. Hit him with a flying knee. McKinney was wrestling well, doing well through the first round. And Sean Woodson was just like, here, son, here's a knee. He's done well overall since matriculating to the UFC. Comes in on a two-fight winning streak. He's got weapons. He intrigues me. He's a guy that I, he's one of those guys that there's just something about him that every time he fights, I sit here and I go, I think he's got something but I don't know what it is yet. And I don't even know that he knows what it is yet or that he's figured out how to really translate those things. And I want to see it. I want to see if there's, if there's something this weekend, because I think this is an opportunity for Sean Woodson to show out. And I don't say that disrespectfully of Luis Saldana, but he thus far has shown me that he's, he, it's not that he's not capable of fighting at this level because he's obviously gotten a couple of victories to, to get to this point. But he seems to linger in fights. He seems to hang around in fights and allow fights to go the distance and allow opponents to have their moments. There doesn't seem yet to be that sustained push from Luis Saldana. And I think that's something Sean Woodson can exploit. And so I want to see as this division continues to suss itself out where this guy that shows some promise and has won four of five in the UFC fits because he's got some unique weapons. He is a problem in terms of the dynamics he presents as an opponent. And so I want to see and get a better understanding of where he fits in this division as we head into the home stretch for 2022 and start thinking about what's happening down the road. Final fight of the television prelims. Miranda Maverick versus Shayna Young. My question is, was the split decision loss to Macy Barber the best thing that could have possibly happened to Miranda Maverick? Now, obviously, you don't want to, nobody wants to lose. Nobody values losing. Nobody sits there and is like, hey, this is great for me in the moment. But what we've seen since then is she came out and absolutely ragdolled Sabrina Mazza after losing to Aaron Blanchfield. And it feels like those losses, we can even even combine the two. It feels like those losses made Miranda Maverick take a step back and say, okay, what do I do exceptionally well? What do I still need to work on? Where can I figure this stuff out the best? She's moved to Denver, Colorado. She is working with the Elevation Fight Team and a bunch of the women there. There is a large contingent of talented females that all train in the Denver and surrounding area. You've got Raquel Pennington. You've got J.J. Aldrich. Lauren Murphy has been up there. Tisha Torres. A bunch of talented people. Rose Namunis as well. I don't know that they're training together. And it feels to me like those losses to fellow young emerging talents made Miranda Maverick say, okay, the things I do best are use my physicality, use my strength. And we saw that in the fight with Mazo. She didn't come out 
looking to kickbox all that much. She came out looking to put her on the ground and choke her out. And that's what she did. And I think some of that is just the learning process, is just the understanding who you are as a fighter. We talk about it all the time on the Severe Preview Show. The best thing that can happen for a fighter is when they figure out who they are and who they want to be and how they want to fight inside the octagon. Because then all the all the extra stuff, all the peripheral stuff sort of fades away and you winnow it down to these are the things I do best and I'm going to keep doing them. It feels like Miranda Maverick has gotten there. There's still growth. There's still evolution. There's still progress. But at the base level, it feels like she's figured it out. And I want to see if that carries over on Saturday in a fight with Shana Young, who is a tough veteran, but also somebody that Miranda Maverick should and most likely will go out and, and beat, if not dominate. First fight, or sorry, the last fight of the early prelims on Saturday, AJ Fletcher versus Ange Losa. My question is, who learned more from their debut loss? Both guys have fought on the Contender Series in the past. AJ Fletcher got a contract after winning the opening bout of last season of Season 5. Angelosa lost his fight on Season 5 to Jack Della Maddalena, who has gone on to be 2-0 in the UFC with a pair of finishes, so you understand the quality of that opponent. Fletcher lost his debut, unanimous decision to Matt Semmelsberger. Losa showed up on short notice or was called up on short notice to fight Munir Lezez lost to him. And so here we are. Both guys showed some things, both on the contenders and in those debuts. And, and I know saying some things sounds reductive and, and short. Both guys have talent. They're both good athletes. They both have power. But power isn't enough at, at this level. And just swinging hard and just looking for kill shots isn't enough at this level. So who of these two was able to take those lessons learned in that debut, in those debuts, go back to the gym, go back to their teams and say, let me improve. Let me get better. Let me figure out what I was just talking about with Miranda Maverick. How do I deploy the things that I'm best at best inside the octagon? Because right now they're, they're level, they're even, and not just because they're one and one, they're, they're Owen respectively O and one, in the UFC or, or individually 0-1 in the UFC. But we just don't know yet. We don't know who they are as fighters at this level against this quality of competition. And we're going to find out more on Saturday because these are the ones, right? These are the fights that, that tell you the most. This is where you learn the most about these athletes that are just starting their UFC journeys is in these early stages. because. Each of them should have gone back to the gym and said, okay, I had some good moments, but here's what I did wrong. I need to improve for next time. Because as much as losing your debut sucks, going 0-2 is even worse. Because then it just feels like a whole whack of pressure and it just compounds everything. And neither of these guys want to be in this position. So which one takes the most away from that first setback and changes course on Saturday. Next up, the flyweights, Francisco Figueredo versus Amir Albazi. My question is, how good is Amir Albazi? I ask this question most events 
And it's usually about a fighter that I think has a lot of potential. Albazi meets that designation. He's 2-0 in the UFC. He's 15-1 overall. His one loss is to Jose Short Torres over in Brave. His wins in the UFC, he got a first-round submission win over Malcolm Gordon in, in his debut. Defeated Jalgis Zhumagulov by unanimous decision in his second fight. He's a guy that trains with the Basharab brothers, Javed and Farid, who are very, very good. You will hear more about each of them in the coming weeks. He looks like somebody that should be a top 10 fighter in this division. All the markers are there, all the track record, things like that. But same as everybody. You got to prove it. You got to show me. We got to see it. I don't necessarily think that the younger half of the Figueredo brothers is a marker that tells us how far Albazi can climb. But this is certainly a fight, again, where we get a little more information, where we can reset the floor, where we can figure out, okay, he's here and the upside, the ceiling is still undefined. Because I think the ceiling is pretty undefined and I think the ceiling is really high, but I want to find out. Flyweight is is full of very talented fighters in the top 10, in the top 15. Albazi is one of them right now. He is ranked. Rankings are rankings. But I think he's somebody that can go out there and hang with the Matt Schnells and hang with the Tim Elliott's who he's been scheduled to fight a couple times and they've got a little bad blood, a little chirping going on on Twitter back in the day. And I want to see it. This is a fight that will propel him forward. This should be a fight that if he is victorious, propels him into a top 10 matchup next time out. And I want to see it because I want all the talent in flyweight. It's so much fun. We talk about it every week that there's a flyweight fight. Everybody jumps out and does the fly never die. And can you believe the UFC? All of that stuff. I just want to see it. I want to see more of it. I want to see all of them. And I think Amir Albazi is the real deal. And I want to know. Next up, Ricky Ling versus Jay Piran. My question is, do we have to start keeping an eye on a Ricky Ling at Bantamweight? Bantamweight is already flush. It is already the best division in the UFC. By far, hands down, top to bottom. He moved up to this division last time out and absolutely trucked Cameron Else. Just went out and was like, look, man, I've been in two good fights. I've been in two hard fights at flyweight. Now I'm not cutting weight. I got a little more energy, got a little more juice, and you're just, you're getting out of here early and violently. And it was really fun to watch. It was really interesting. And it really sort of set that like, okay, let's just put a little asterisk here and get ready to see who the next guy is that he's in there with so we can make another read. And now Jay Piran, again, I keep saying this this week, but Jay Piran isn't necessarily the guy that gives us a definitive answer, but it's another step in the process. I think, again, this is a fight that that we should see competitive, should be competitive. Jay Piran did well, all things considered, on short notice against Mario Batista in his debut. But I just want to see, because you get a guy that's 28, Gave Jeff Molina a good fight in his first appearance. Gave Cody Durden a good fight in his second appearance. I thought he won that fight. And then went out and and got Cameron Else out of there very quickly in his bantamweight debut. I just want to see. I think there's something here. He's 28. He's had a wealth of experience over in in China. 
let's just see. Bantamweight's already full of it. There's already loads of talent. But we can always use one more, right? Opener of the night, Daniel De Silva, Victor Altamirano in the flyweight division. My question is just simply, who gets their first UFC victory? De Silva debuted against Jeff Molina, the aforementioned El Jefe. Competitive in the first round, then gets gets put out of there in the second. Comes out in his second fight and gets knee barred by Francisco Figueredo. And so there's been flashes, there's been positive moments, but but he hasn't been able to build on those yet. Victor Altamirano was the LFA champ, earned a contract on Contender Series with a split decision win over Carlos Candelario, comes out in his debut and loses his debut against fellow Contender Series alum, Christian Rodriguez. We're just going to see. As I said earlier, nobody wants to lose. Same as, same as AJ Fletcher and Angelosa. Nobody wants to lose two in a row, especially right out of the gate. Daniel De Silva can tell you. He's coming into this like, bro, I don't want to lose three straight. That would be the end of my UFC run, at least this time, most likely. Neither of them want to be in that position. Both have shown little flashes of intriguing elements to their game. Altamirano is more of a karate guy, a kickboxer guy. Daniel De Silva does a little bit of everything, but he throws some big kicks. He does some grappling. I think these guys are going to come out like absolute gangbusters to start Saturday, chasing that first victory trying to avoid that extended losing streak. And it should be a good way to kick things off in Salt Lake City. That's it for the questions. We knocked it out in about 30 minutes. I hope everybody is enjoying this series. I hope everybody's enjoying the video element of it that is up here on the YouTube page. As we said last week when we started this, thanks to our guy Ian O'Neill for pointing it out. We're throwing audio up on the Keyboard Kimura newsletter feed. We're throwing the video up on the on the YouTube channel. Feel free to subscribe to both. I'd greatly appreciate it if you did. Follow all the work. I will promote it all at Spencer Kite on Twitter and on Instagram. As always, I thank you. I look forward to seeing you back here next week for the next edition. No, not next week. We don't have a fight card next week. We're going to have to figure out things to do next week on the newsletter because we can't take time off. So maybe we'll just do a whole bunch of videos. We'll see if we can convince Harry to jump on a Wednesday morning video and talk about whatever we want to talk about. We'll figure that out over the next couple of days. Enjoy your week. Be good to one another. Take care of yourselves. Get hype for UFC 278. We'll talk to you next week.